Welcome to the Multifamily Wealth Podcast. I'm your host, Axel Ragnarsson, and on this show, I dissect how seasoned multifamily investors started, built, and scaled their businesses. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another quick solo episode here on the Multifamily Wealth Podcast. Uh, coming off of a little break, um, no episodes on the week of July 4th. Uh, you know, this one's going to be the first that we've had in a week. So, uh, you know, glad to be back here. Glad to be recording episodes again and, um, have some good solo episodes to that, that, that are going to be coming up over the next couple of weeks here that are in the queue. Um, where I'm going to be talking about a lot of current events related topics as it relates to what we're doing in our business, how we're making decisions right now. And I think it's going to be content that's very valuable to everybody who's out there trying to stay in the game right now, trying to do deals, trying to figure out how to make sense of the market. Um, so yeah, some great content coming down the pipeline, uh, as well as some great guest interviews as well. Um, but in this week's episode, I want to talk a little bit about underwriting, specifically how to think about underwriting right now. And I think folks think of multifamily underwriting as one activity. It's one part of the process. It's one skill. When in reality, multifamily underwriting is really uh, comprised of two different types of underwriting. And I think people forget one of them, which I want to get to. But really, you have capital structure underwriting in terms of uh, projecting where a cap rate might be when you sell a property, You know where debt might be if you're refinancing, um, what rents are going to do, what expenses are going to do, and you know trying to predict values, trying to p- predict you know all of these different things, right? Where rents are going, what have you. Um, and a lot of that is more related to the capital structure. That's more you know, related to the actual uh, capital markets, the financing markets, what's going on in the financial world. But it's also easy to forget that they're, we're, we're making operational underwriting assumptions as well. You know, and, and a lot of, there is some overlap. There's, there's slight overlap between the two, but it's a little different, right? For example, like what are expenses going to do? Uh, what are rents going to do? What, what are some of the risks from an operational standpoint? in the actual market, uh, excuse me, class type of property that I'm buying because there are different risks in the class A market than there are in the class C market. Um, And basically trying to ask yourself, what happens if the underlying assumptions that we don't even sometimes think about making and we just consistently use the same figures as multifamily investors? Yeah, 5% vacancy rate. That's cool. Um, You know, yeah, um, water sewer is going to be this per year, whatever it is, right? Um, yeah, our collections are going to be roughly, you know, 90, 92, 93% of our, of our gross income. Like we're only going to have three, 4% in bad debt, um, or, you know, uncollectible income, right? These are assumptions that we always make that assume effective operations and, you know, fundamentally speaking, a marketplace that's operating correctly. That is, that is actually, um, operating in the way that we that it has been for a very long time now, the last 10, 15 years. And then we expect to. And I say 10, 15, really since 2012 to now. So the last, you know, 11 years or so. Um, but it's important to, to to challenge those assumptions every once in a while, right? And I want to share some examples here as it relates to what I'm talking about. So for example, you know, let's say you're you're a value-add investor. Um, you typically buy, you know, B plus A class properties in a core market. You know, maybe that's a four and a half cap market right now, a five cap market. You look for deals that you can stabilize to five and a half or you know, a six cap, and you collect the difference, right? That's how you earn your margin and, and actually make money in doing the whole thing is by taking a property that, you know, is in a four and a half cap market and stabilizing it to five and a half and and you know 
you have value creation. Now, let's say that you your your typical residents or the majority of your residents are folks that are in a white collar profession. Maybe they work remotely. Maybe they work in an industry like financial services or something like that. Um, and historically, those have been very strong sectors of the employment base. Uh, something that people forget right now is that we've been working remotely for three years, basically. Um, you know, most companies have had a remote work policy for a few years. And a lot of these companies are finding out, wow, if we're going to be doing, you know, if we're going to be employing people who are working remotely, we might as well just go overseas and hire somebody else. You know, if you're in a, if you're in a, a position, you know, a data analyst, an underwriter in your financial services, if you're in project management that doesn't require you to be on site anywhere, geographic designer, you know, whatever it is, somebody can do your job overseas for half the cost that you can do it. Like that's not even, that's just a fact. Like that's what's happening right now. That's not even up for debate. So there's a lot of companies right now that are like, all right, well, we can pay someone 80 grand here, or 40 grand elsewhere, or 30 grand elsewhere. We're just going to go hire some from, someone from somewhere else, right? And that is probably going to jeopardize the resident base of your of the type of property that you're buying, right? Maybe it doesn't completely derail the deal, but maybe maybe rents don't grow as fast, right? Maybe your collections are a little bit lower, you know, as this really starts to take precedent and take hold. Maybe you have a higher turnover rate. Maybe your retention is lower. And now we're starting to challenge the underwriting, uh, the the underlying, excuse me, operational underwriting. And that all rolls up to the higher level financial underwriting of what's the property going to be worth? What kind of capital structure should we use as a result of the type of property we're buying, et cetera, et cetera. And now you're in a position where you may have underwritten a deal incorrectly. And I think this is a really important conversation to have now is we're in a weird economic time. And I mean, the Fed is trying to push us into a recession. Like that's actively what they're working towards by doing everything they're doing from a rate uh, environment standpoint. And it's important to challenge your underlying operational fundamentals as well, because I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say is people forget that like real estate is a business. We are in the service business of providing housing to individuals and they need, you know, we're being compensated for providing that housing. And it's not all just the same all of the time. Operations isn't smooth all of the time. We don't always have the same vacancy rate. We don't always have the same collections rate. We don't always have the same, you know, expenses or turnover costs because some years turnover might be a lot higher than other years. And we need to challenge some of those underlying underlying assumptions every once in a while as well. For example, another, you know, another um, scenario that's probably worthwhile to bring up is let's say you're buying a property in a growing market. You know, your goal is, you know, let's say it's a five cap market. You want to buy a deal and stabilize it to a 6% cap rate. And again, you know, if it's in a five cap rate market, now you've but you know, you've done a deal where you've created value. Maybe this is a C-class market, right? Maybe, you know, this is a marketplace that's growing very rapidly. You're in the C-class sector of the of the business. A recession hits, values are impacted significantly in the A and B class segment because those are, you know, those are um there's more variance in, the, in those employment markets. But your resident base is comprised entirely of people that are working in the trades or in a service industry, or they're, you know, they're traveling to work every day and and doing something in person. And those jobs are much and much harder to hire for nowadays. And there's a shrinking and shrinking base of individuals willing to work those jobs, but those jobs aren't going away. We need, you know, those, those are roles that need to be filled in order to keep everything put together, so to speak, to keep the infrastructure alive, just speaking so broadly across the country. 
And maybe there's much more demand in that specific sector, right? This is an optimistic scenario. Maybe the cap rates drop in that market. I don't know. You know, I'm just, again, this is all hypothetical. So you can even remove the, the numbers I'm attaching to it and think about this more conceptually, but that's the version of this going the other way, right? There's more demand in workforce housing because the resident base from an employment standpoint, it's much more secure. These people have, uh, you know, they're working in roles that are, that are not as replaceable. They cannot be sent overseas. They cannot be replaced by artificial intelligence, what have you, right? Maybe there's more demand in those asset classes. And, you know, if I'm going to use like a realistic cap rate analysis, maybe it's like, you know, we're going from that, uh, you know, that product type trading at a seven and a half cap, you know, maybe you're trying to buy and stabilize to a nine, but the cap rate drops to seven because people are deciding more and more investors are deciding that's the sector of the business that they want to deploy capital in, which then compresses that cap rate a little bit, right? And then we go from a seven and a half to a seven cap rate market, and then you're creating value, right? Or you're creating more value. You're, you're, um, more value is being created for your investment, I should say. The market's giving you more value. So let's think about underwriting in two different buckets, right? We need to underwrite the underlying operational assumptions, which oftentimes we do not revisit that often, whether it's between asset classes, whether it's between markets, whether it's just what we underwrote last year for vacancy, we'll underwrite this year. And it might it just might not be the same, right? So we need to think about that as well as underwriting the capital side of the business as well. Debt, equity, growth assumptions, cap rate assumptions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and there is a lot of overlap between the two, but I think sometimes it's helpful to take a step back and to think about them in two different ways, uh, especially nowadays, as we need to be much more mindful of oper- you know, underlying the right operating assumptions. So with that being said, I hope uh, this episode was valuable. It's great to be back on the podcast feed. Um, you know, If you enjoyed this one, please consider leaving the show a rating and a review. Um, getting close to 250, uh, five-star reviews or ratings, I should say. And I hope to, to get to 250, you know, maybe by the end of July here, maybe we can make a little goal on the podcast of, of getting to 250 by the end of July within the next, you know, six, six episodes or so. Um, but again, if you enjoyed the podcast, thank you for listening and I will catch you guys on the next one. Thank you for listening to this episode on the multifamily wealth podcast. If you learned something new during the show, please consider sharing this episode with a friend, family member, or business partner, or just leaving a rating and review as it helps the show get noticed by more folks. Catch you next week.